Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. On this week's show, I'm chatting with Michelle Lestas, whose new book, In Business With Yourself, has just been published by Orpen Press. Thanks for taking my call, Michelle. Thanks very much, Ellen. Thanks for having me. Now, listen, you have 20 years experience of working in business and coaching people. How did the idea for the book come about? Well, it was really um, the privilege of doing that, Ellen, over the years. And I've worked with some fantastic um, business owners, mainly small business owners across that time. And it was really bringing all of those observations and ideas. And the book really has a lot of tips. It's a self-help book. So it's really about trying to bring some of that experience so that others can benefit from that um, and understand maybe where they can learn from that rather than always learning by making mistakes and and so it was really that and I grew up in a family business so business is very much part of my bones and um, it was really just trying to bring that to the table and the idea came to me last year of really putting it into to writing uh, bringing it forward. Well you've come up with eight different identities for business people now we're not going to go through all of them but you've got a blue skyer the descendant the hobbyist the dabbler, the lifer, the progressor, the academic and the game changer. I, I want to dip into some of them. Tell me about the blue skyer, because it sounds like blue sky thinking. And by just by the name alone, I would think never going to succeed. An ideas person who's doomed to be forever a rat on a treadmill coming up with the next great idea. Yeah, the blue scare is exactly that. So oh. it's, it's, it's really, well, not, not the end bit of it, the first bit of it. <laughs> oh, good. Your your naming is very appropriate, so. <laughs> yeah, it really, and it really did come from exactly that, the idea of blue sky thinking. Um, and I've come across many businesses who, uh, business leaders who are blue skyers. So they really come to the business with this innovative idea um, and I talk about, you know, obviously you, you immediately think of someone from the IT sector, but it could be an artisanal business. It could be lots of different type of business leader, but they're really coming with this idea and innovation and they want to make that into a commercial and, and commercialize what they're doing. Um, so I, I, I focus on that one because I think it's really relevant now as well because of what's going on in the world around us. And I suspect there will be many more blue skyers emerging over the next couple of years and, and thinking about um, bringing some ideas. So they well, really... if you think of, sorry for cross-talking, but if you think of COVID and how it has affected people and they've begun rethinking their lives and do I want to continue to do this? And I'm sure there are lots of people who are coming up with ideas saying, I wonder, is there a business in that so how does the blue skyer actually behave? So really they are, I, I call them, I, I say they're quite good at taking risks. They don't mind taking risks. Quite often they don't have an awful lot to lose because there could be very low entry into their industry. And so they get on with the idea and um, they then work through this. Uh, they're, they're very much, the, the issue with the blue skyer is they're very much caught in that comfort zone of innovation and creation. So what you described at the start could be really a trap that they would fall into. So it becomes about this innovation rather than actually pushing the business forward and trying to make it commercial. So in the book, I talk about this and about the need for blue skyers to perhaps think about not just about themselves, but the people they put around them and thinking about putting people around them who are maybe more business minded 
and how they could move the uh, the concept forward. And so um, it's important to do that. So surrounding yourself with people um, and also investors or banks who are prepared to back you, uh, very important in pushing the idea forward and really making it into a very tangible business. But I think for Blue Skyers, who are probably not always the most um, uh, biggest of team players, it's about them making sure they put people around them who can support them. And when I look at some of the other identities, there are some specific identities that I think are great, um, and predominantly around people who are maybe very strong in the business acumen and maybe not so much in the innovation. But the blue skyer, I presume, is somebody like a Mark Zuckerberg, is it? Yeah, very much so. And uh, I think when he started out, it was very much he had, you know, as you know, we probably had lots of issues in the very beginning and lots of obstacles to overcome and lots of people to convince that actually his idea had some traction. And that's another issue in terms of perseverance for Blue Skyers. You know, um, the other prime example would be the likes of um, of uh, Dyson, um, who, you know, took 15 years and 15 prototypes, I think, before he actually got to the point where he had something ready for market. So a blue skyer quite often needs needs an awful lot of tenacity, and you need to convince other people that your idea is actually worth backing and supporting. And they need to take time to do that and not just be all about the creation. It's a really interesting one because I'm assuming that their leadership skills aren't great and that might be a really a real jump into the, the dark. But I assume that they're so focused on like 15 years with Dyson to actually build a product that he could bring to market. It would be very hard to follow somebody like that for 15 years, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think um, and I think they do. And I, I talk a little bit about that sort of functional leadership. So blue skyers are not the best at thinking about the sort of the finance and the production side of it, or indeed even the planning and coordinating. It's not really their forte. And are they and, inclined to be poor people people, if you know what I mean? Do they focus on themselves rather than the people around them? In the beginning, they do, and I think that's where many of them, you know, when you introduced it at the start, I think that's where many fall down. If they don't put that team around them, you know, it's going to be a very hard uphill struggle. So it's all about Blue Skyers realising that they have to reach out and reaching out to the right type of people that can actually push them forward. Well, I'm going to move you through The Descendant because I think we're all familiar with companies where somebody has actually inherited a company from their parent and they they take over working within that business. The hobbyist, I presume, is somebody who is, uh, what what's the word that I keep coming across last year? A mompreneur or somebody who wants to make money on the side, but isn't necessarily an entrepreneur, doesn't really want to build a business and grow it and dominate the world. They're, they're just happy to make a few bob. And the dabbler, I presume, is somebody with just time on their hands who dabbles. The lifer was really of interest to me. Tell me about the lifer. Yeah, the lifer is uh, a very interesting identity. Um, So for the lifer, I suppose, for them and for that business person, and many of you will recognize this, you know, it's about the business. It doesn't really matter what that business is. A lifer is just very passionate about being in business. And that's something that... Many would sort of think, well, that happens at a very young age, and it can do. And I give the example of the likes of Sir Alan Sugar, who started out really early dabbling, and I think he he bought mops, uh, floor mops, and he bought them for 50p and sold them to his neighbours for a pound. And that's your sort of typical idea of what a lifer is. 
And he went on then to do lots of different things in different types of business. But a lifer can also come to the table later on in life. Um, but what you tend to find is they're very entrepreneurial in their career. So you would find that a lifer tends to jump around jobs quite a bit. They get fairly dissatisfied. They're not brilliant at taking um, direction from others. And so uh, whatever point they join the spectrum at whatever age they are, but they're all about the business and it really doesn't matter. And they, they can try lots of different things until eventually, hopefully, they succeed in what they're doing. So they, they have a commercial nose from early on and a desire to kind of work for themselves or to lead others. Are they good leaders? Are they good um, business people? Yeah, I think they, 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 and I talk in the book about, um, and I have many examples of how they almost mould into that uh, 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 type of, 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 of working. They realise that it's not just about them and that they need to build teams. And they, they can become very strong, actually, team leaders and team builders. Um, and they can be very engaging but it tends to be over time. It's not something that tends to be instant. So when they start out and they're in that very quick growth phase of the business, they're sort of grappling with that. But most lifers that I have met over time and are successful have learned to be very much about leading a team and getting the business up and, and establish, establishing the business and getting it to grow. And just while you mentioned Alan Sugar as an example of that, do they get do they get tired? Do they get blasé about running a business? I've often looked at some of these key, not necessarily Alan Sugar, but some of these really big, well-known leaders, and they kind of look like they hit a point where they've made loads of money and they've achieved a lot. And now it's almost boring that they're involved in so many different businesses and they know how it's all done. And it's like there's nothing to get up for in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I think there comes a point for many lifers when they have been there and done it so much and got the T-shirt so much that they're just at a point when they think, OK, I've, I've had enough of this. And quite often that tends to happen, uh, or where I've seen it happen, is whenever their business is up at that sort of established level and it's, it's, it's doing well and it's, it's generating a good income, they get a bit bored. And then their choices are either okay, they need to reinvent something in the business, whether it's the product or service or the business, how it operates. And when they get into that sort of thinking about reinventing, they just hit this brick wall and they go, this isn't for me, you know, again, doing this again. I want to either bring someone else on to do that and bring somebody up through the ranks to do it, or I just need to step out. And then what you t tend to find is lifers can then become a bit of a dabbler because they tend to go okay. back and support others. And do they actually enjoy it? Because the impression I get from a distance is that they're a bit bored by it. They're a bit lost once they've achieved whatever it was they set out to achieve. They sort of spend the rest of their life being a bit lost, looking for the same magic again. Yeah, I think they really enjoy the challenge. Lifers really enjoy the challenge. And as long as they're having that challenge, and of course, business isn't a smooth journey. So, you know, quite often in their own businesses, they're either expanding or they're dealing with um, economic downturns or they're dealing with lots of different things. So I think as long as they're being challenged, they don't get bored. But once those challenges get sorted and the solutions come into play and there's not really much more looking as if it needs to their skills and expertise, then that becomes a bit of an issue. 
it's interesting. They sound like the equivalent of high maintenance in the business zone. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a quick commercial break here and I'll be back to you right after this. You're listening to The Mediascope Show with Ellen Gunning on 103.2. Dublin City FM. Welcome back. I'm chatting with Michelle Lestas, the author of a new book called In Business With Yourself. And we're sort of dipping into some of the personality types or identities um, that she's identified for people who run business. The third one I wanted to talk to you about, Michelle, because I was just curious about it, is the game changer. And this, again, from a distance to me, sounds like somebody who says, do you know what? This is the equivalent of that industry needs a right good kick up the ass and I'm the person to do it. Right? Wrong? Yeah, well, the game changer is really about, you know, they see this gap and I describe them as a a business identity where someone sees a gap in terms of there's a problem in either their community or society as a whole and they want to try and change that. They want to bring consumers to make a difference. And I use the prime example of the lights of Anita Roddick in the body shop. You know, Anita Roddick really wasn't about cosmetics in the 1980s. She was more about fair trade. and She was about testing on animals in my head. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so she was all about trying to make a change in the cosmetics industry. And she brought her consumers with her and she did it really successfully. So we have, and especially now with where we're going with thinking about um, green energy and life sciences now because of COVID and all of those different types of industries, I think we're going to see an awful lot of game changers emerging in our uh, economy over the next couple of years. Do you know, I hadn't thought of Anita Roddick as one of the early ones, but my instant impression of her, I know she was in cosmetics, but it was that she was driven by a passion to stop testing on animals. So her cosmetics, her range became, we guarantee that we don't test on animals and whatever. And actually, you're right. There's, if you look at something like the environment, so many people nowadays want to make an impact. They don't want to just live, work, breathe and die. They actually want to leave something behind them or, or do something for the planet. So you reckon we're going to see a lot of game changers. Tell me something are, are, with the types, the business types that you see. What's the most prevalent for men and what's the most prevalent for women? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I probably would, if I had to make a, a, a sort of a an educated guess on it, I would say that the hobbyist is quite prevalent among women. Um, and because quite often, in many ways, and even in today's world, you know, it, it can suit, it can be something that you can do alongside of other commitments that you might have. And and as far as we, you know, we want to go with everything, we still have this sort of societal expectation on women and, and some sort of a caring role. And so quite often we find women in that hobbyist idea um, and sort of fits maybe alongside other commitments. Um, OK, and, and the most prevalent one for men? For men, I would say probably we're looking at um, the blue skyer is probably, I think, more male dominated than female. And there are a few examples of, of, of women, but it tends to be more male, I think, coming from that sort of techie background. And until we move in our education for uh, females to be much more looking at STEM and those sorts of subjects in school, it'll probably remain that way for a little bit to come. And out of the eight different identities or personality types that you identified, who makes for the best business leader? Well, I suppose two different types of leadership. Who who develops the most effective businesses? 
which could be all about the profit and getting the product out there and not necessarily people. And who is the best with people, with actually having that vision that people say, I will walk off a cliff for that person? I think the best in getting a product out there with the right background and support. Um, well, there's probably two, to be honest. I think there's the Blue Sky are again because they are, you, you, you know, all of that cost of innovation, you will you will push back and eventually you will get um, some, pro- some really good innovative products out there. So I think them in terms of the products themselves. I also think the Dabbler as an investor is always really well placed to see what's going on in the marketplace and to take opportunities where they are. In terms of a leader, um, I I honestly think when they get into it and they sustain it, I think the lifer probably does make the best type of leader. And any of them I've come across um, have all been fairly good at leadership, and 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 they're not scared to bring people with them because they don't feel threatened by that in any way. That's interesting. So that they're they're all happy to surround themselves with people who are as smart as them or smarter than them. They're not They're not in that mindset that says, oh gosh, she's so clever now, she's going to show me up, so I'd rather she go off and work for somebody else. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think the lifers are, are, are definitely are quite happy. And if, if you can imagine that some of them who do come to, to business quite early on and when they're very young, maybe their formal type of education, as we understand, is, is not always perfect. And what I have seen of them is they're actually very positive about bringing that on board. They understand that that's a weakness. They're not threatened lifers because they sort of have a, this inherent almost confidence in themselves in business. They're not scared to, to take that risk at all. And what's their big negative then? If you were looking in from the outside and you said, look, this person will bring a team with them, they'll build a team well, they'll, they're passionate about what they do, they'll put a lot of time into it. What's the negative? What's the downside? I think actually for them personally as individuals and where I've seen it, it actually tends to be more personal than it is in business. You know, it can be all encompassing. It's a, that is everything to them. Um, and it becomes a bit addictive in some ways. And so for them as people, business becomes their life and life becomes their business. And so although there's upsides of that and returns on that, the downside is they sometimes maybe just wake up and say, where is the rest of my life and why have I just focused on that for all these years? And does that happen to the Blue Skyer as well, who's been sort of concentrating so much on developing this new product? Do they do the same thing and sort of come up for air and think, where did the last 15, 20 years go to? I've missed something. I think because the Blue Sky is a bit more dynamic in what they do, you quite often find, well, there's a, you know there are, of course, the exceptions like Microsoft and Bill Gates and people like that. But generally with Blue Skyers, they tend to sort of, they're at that for a while and then they move on to the next invention. I think the thing that has kept the likes of Bill Gates going has been the reinvention within the business. But quite often that's not the case. So the Blue Sky tends to move on a little bit and... Um, yeah, so I don't think, I think they tend to, they socialise more, I think, with their their team and it's a much more sort of camaraderie in their team uh, because they come from a very innovative angle and so they're surrounding themselves by people who are quite innovative too. They're really interesting mix because you can actually see the personality types almost fall into different silos. It, it, everything that you're saying makes a huge amount of sense. What about the kind of decisions they make? How does their leadership identity affect their ability to take decisions or the way in which they take decisions? Who are the kind of 
slow, thoughtful, clever, I make the right decision? Who's too slow? Who's too quick to jump? Yeah, um, one of the ones um, I, I think that is interesting in this is, is the progressor. I talk about the progressor, the person who's maybe had a career in design or um, they've worked for a company, a design company or a recruitment company or someone someone like that. And then they go out into business on their own uh, to run their own business in that industry or uh, beauticians or hairdressers. They're all sort of in that category. So they move out. And they create, I suppose, a lifestyle for themselves by running this business. Freelancers would be another example of that. Someone who's maybe worked in a company and gone out and done, and now working as a solo self-trader. And so they tend to, um, although they know their industry very well, um, they tend to sort of keep that same mindset. And so moving and changing and being innovative and taking risk is not the most, comfortable for them they like the, the lifestyle and they like to um, have that security so i think for them they can be reasonably slow to to move forward and, and for many they just want to keep the status quo they want a lifestyle business and that's it and there's nothing wrong with that um i think but they're low risk people they're yeah. low risk and and that determines risk. how they how they make their decisions who's the well, who's the, the solid person in the middle that if you were putting money into out of those eight personalities, which personality type or identity would you put money into? I'm imagining it's the lifer, but I could be wrong. Well, yes, the lifer is a very obvious one. The other one that does raise its head is the descendant in the family business because they tend to have reasonably strong, uh, if, they're, if they're surviving into the second generation at least, they're reasonably strong, but the problem with the descendant is it's hard to put money in there because they're family businesses and mm. they're very tight knit, and so they're not really attractive to those from the outside. Yeah, and the but chances they are they're pretty much controlled by the family as yeah, well, so yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to have any influence as yeah. an investor into it. Yeah, and who, which is the the type then? So if the the lifer is the kind of of the two, the person you would put money into, who's the the one that you think? If you had high risk money, you know, that they'll jump off a cliff, but I'm not so sure. I'd want to have a big parachute and be comfortable that I could lose that money and not think about it. Who's the one that you'd go with who might actually possibly give you the biggest return, but might also give you a nervous breakdown on the way? Yeah, I think the game changer is a good one for that, especially with where we're going um, in the economy now over the next few years. If, if if I was looking at it, those that are being altruistic about their society and looking at how they can improve society and bring consumers with them, I think the game changer going forward is a really good one to look at. I I would I would put some money in there uh, for definite. And 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 lastly, I also think the academics. I talk about academics because they're coming out from universities. They have a lot of um, of product knowledge. Actually, the academic have. is an interesting space because you're getting lots of these industry spin-outs now um, from universities for people who were, I imagine, who were very clever, who were studying for PhDs or whatever. And you've academics now working with them saying this could become a business. Let's build it out a bit. Tell me a little bit more about the academic. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And actually, I do a bit of work with academics at the minute. I, I see a, a, a very big increase in, in, in that market, actually. So you've got people who are at the forefront of research, and particularly now with life sciences, with medicine, with science coming out and being really important to us as a society. Um, and things like um, 
vegan food and all of those sorts of new type of ways that we're going to move as a society. These guys are at the forefront of, of research. And then if you if you um, build that with business acumen and you match up some of those identities like a lifer or a dabbler with that academic, you've got a real recipe for, for making a cake. If you were looking in from the outside for the next 20 years or so, where do you see the, the real growth coming from? So you have a lot of people who are very dissatisfied with their lives, who are looking to change. You may have some who are in the kind of progressor zone that I'm not going to continue to work for that person anymore, but I may freelance back into that industry. So I'm not making a huge change. You've some who have the dream and aren't sure will they actually develop it as a business? Will it work? Should I put money into it? Um, where would you where do you see the future going? Because you're going to have an awful lot of movement in the next 10 to 15 years. For sure. Um, and, and the thing is, I think over the last 12 months, our economy has changed and moved the equivalent of what I would think is at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. We've all had to grapple with this uh, really exponential change in our economy. And so, you know, working with businesses now who think that they could run their business today the way they did 12 months ago it's just you know it's it's just not there so i really think in terms of going forward i you know i definitely think the academics the game changers um the dabblers who will invest the blue skyers who will create i mean they're really important players in our economy um across the industries that are and pharmaceuticals you know there's so many that are going to emerge now and become the kingpins. And what are the downsides you've seen for people who actually say, look, I'll, I'll take a chance, I'll go into business. Who are the people who, I suppose, react worst, most badly to failure? There must be some in that group who say, like nobody wants to fail, but who say, look, I'll, I'll take it on the chin. It didn't work out, but I gave it my best shot. I'll move on. Where's my next dastardly plan? But there must be others who are practically destroyed for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I, I talk a little bit about this in the book in terms of just that whole element of risk. And there are definitely identities that are more comfortable with risk than others. There are more that are tenacious than others. And I think tenacity is the key of the game. I, I do think we are going to be dealing in a few years. We have a lot of people now who are maybe being made redundant, who are uh, you know losing their jobs. And these people are automatically, I think, the low-lying fruit for them is going to be thinking about setting up a business. Of course, it's going to be a natural type of idea. But I think, you know, that's fine. But in the book, I do talk about this requirement for broad shoulders and tenacity because it's not it's not just a one-way road. And, you know, most businesses, startup businesses, we have 50% of them fail after the first four years. And that's, uh, you know, if you think about not being able to uh, move or create your income or create your, your life um, and four years of your life has been invested in that, that's a lot. And so people really have to go in with their eyes wide open. And I do I do plead for that, I think, as I work through the book, because I think it's crucial. And people like the lifers um, will shrug it off because they'll just move on because that's what they're about. I love the idea that they're born tenacious almost. I'm going to close it on that point. The book is called In Business With Yourself. It's published by Orpen Press. And I've been chatting with Michelle Le- Michelle Lestas, the author. Michelle, thank you for joining me today. That was a fascinating insight.
Thank you, Ellen, for the for 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 having me. I really enjoyed that. Now that's all I have for you for this week. Would you believe? If you've information you'd like to share with listeners, or you have a good story to tell, send me an email to mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget, you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programs on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Michelle Lestas and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time again next week. So until then, goodbye.